This episode is brought to you by TuneGift. Stop buying gift cards and show your loved one you really care with a personalized song. TuneGift's team of songwriters will work with you to create a perfect song that that special someone can cherish and listen to forever. With Mother's Day just around the corner, TuneGift is offering a 25% discount until Friday. So head on over to tune.gift and use offer code MOM25 at checkout for a 25% discount. And their team will make sure to get you your mom's new favorite song before Mother's Day. That's T-U-N-E period gift with offer code MOM25. Audio the business of Wow. Can you believe it? Episode two. You made it. We made it. We actually made another episode. We're still here. Guys, this might become a thing. We're on our way to maybe making up to four to five episodes. And we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, you guys, I'm really proud of everyone listening right now because not only did you listen to episode one, you had to in order to unlock episode two, but you're here and and we're here. I think we're here. They don't myself. see us. You can't okay. see us. So uh, we we've, we should introduce ourselves again, just in case people forgot. I'm the token girl, Keaton. I'm the token blonde, Michael. I'm and blonde. I'm the token... I'm just a fake blonde. Jew. Avery. <laughs> we, uh, in this podcast, will be talking to both people on the business side and the creative side. And today we're talking to somebody who's more on the creative side. Um, he's composed jingles for Kmart, uh, Art Van... GM and he he doesn't do that anymore. He's moved on to video specifically for web consumption. Um, but he's here to talk to us about his uh, career. His name is Dave Mayer. Uh, to give you a little background, he's been he's worn a lot of hats in the in the music industry in general as a composer, as a jazz pianist. He's uh, worked at, with film, theater, vocal groups. Uh, he lived all over the world in Europe and in the late '90s and early 2000s, and kind of. Up to the mid-2000s, he was a jingle writer. Um, and like Keaton said, you know, he worked for some pretty reputable companies writing music. He's also going to talk to us about, it's not exactly jingle writing, but scoring industrial videos, like internal promotional videos for companies like GM for their employees to watch and get hyped about the company, um, which is something that I hadn't really even thought about. As we mentioned in episode one, which again, you had to listen to to unlock this one. We are scientists, we're excavators, archaeologists, and, you know, we're, we're digging deep. Like the the world of jingles is not it's not always what it seems. There's a lot of subterranean um mystery. Mystery. Think that of we're the world gonna, of jingles uh, as the Great Pyramid of Giza and Dave is in the very middle. He's right in the center. He's he's the heart of the, the pyramids. So we're gonna dig down and, and figure out why he's there, how he got there, what if kind he's of okay. embalming fluids he has. Yeah, yeah. we're going to try to get him if out. He needs, he's hungry. He's hungry. Yeah, um, drop some bread, some magazines maybe. The pyramids of Giza are obviously in Giza, so he's probably thirsty too. Yeah. yeah. He does have Zoom, a good Zoom connection though, so that's how we'll be talking to him. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so without any more delay, let's get to it. So Dave and I actually met on a flight from Detroit to Orlando, of all places, which is kind of funny um, because usually when I get on a plane, I have my headphones on, I sit down, I just try to tune out the entire world. But for some reason that day, I just I didn't put my headphones on. We started talking, uh, and we talked the entire flight. It was great. You know, you you have such an interesting life, and you were doing and and had done all of the things that I wanted to do 
um, or, you know, was really interested in doing at that time, especially. So it was kismet. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess that kind of leads to our first question. So you got back to the States in the late 90s, right? Yes. And did you instantly start uh, writing jingles, like entering that the world of jingles? Like, how did you get into it? How did you get involved in the first place? I had a friend who was a um, TV commercial director. Uh, definitely helps to know somebody. Um, I'd been living in Europe for 12 years, came back, got in touch with this friend. He introduced me to some people and that helped get me going. The problem for me was I'd been in Europe where I was doing other things. I was doing music, but I didn't have, I wasn't up on the technology. And in that business, you had to have a great home studio. That was the first thing. I had to go visit guys who did that work and look at all of their samplers. I've since gotten rid of um, almost all of it, but I mean, things had gotten a lot smaller. So within 10 by three feet, you could put together a full orchestra and do everything yourself on a keyboard, um, including recording audio, having guitar players come over and, and stuff like that. Now it's basically really a keyboard and a computer. So things have gotten even smaller. It's it's all on a hard drive or a couple of hard drives. So that's how I got started. I had a friend who was in the business and it was all about making appointments at ad agencies to play your demo for producers. That was the thing. You'd bring food and orange juice or whatever and get people to show up and show your most impressive stuff. The problem for me was that I was kind of 12 years behind because in Europe, I hadn't been keeping up on that. And everybody who was in a band in the 70s and 80s and decided they had to make a living went into that business of jingle writing. And some of them got good at it. So when you say you were starting out and people had their own home studios, I know that's sort of a standard now for producing VO and things like that. Back when you started, were there any sort of situations where you would go somewhere to like a dedicated jingle house and write music? I would occasionally go somewhere, but it was maybe just to um, a friend's house who also had a studio like mine to record a vocalist or a guitar player or to have him help me with a mix or something like that. So I never, yeah, it was a jingle house, but it was like mine. It was a one man basement jingle house. So when you say you would go into uh, like a producer's office and bring food and show them your stuff, would it be you're showing them stuff that you like specifically made because you know they need like an Arby's jingle or is it like your old compositions, like just other work you've done? So super good question. So the thing with that business that's, that's difficult is you kind of have to do the job and then hope to get the job. You have to do all the work or do all the work three times, show them three ideas for a TV commercial. It's so competitive. They'll get eight guys to do three demos and they'll have 24 before they've paid any money. (laughs) So there was a house in town that had like six composers on staff. And so they had tons of stuff that they did for demos that never got used. So when they would bid on a job, they would like pull out from their archives like 15 demos (laughs) for other jobs that might work. So they would, you know, that's how that business worked, which is an odd thing about that business. The jobs pay well, but it's really hard to get one. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so would you like if if other people had other demos for like a different company they had done that they didn't need, um, and they w- brought them into this other producer, would it be like they would show them an instrumental because it's obviously like different words if there are vocals on it? Well, eighty ninety percent of the work was instrumental. Okay. So they would take out the vocals or they would use stuff that never had vocals, I think. Or they'd use the vocals and say, listen, how great these vocals sound. We'll change the words. Okay. So did you did you do a lot of writing lyrics then or were you just composing mostly? So the lyrics I wrote, I'm not a great lyric writer, but um, like GM had a big manager's meeting and they wanted something motivational. So they wanted sort of an anthem for like a weekend thing where they're all getting pumped up. So that kind of lyric isn't that hard to write they give you what their catchphrases of the year are and what their goals are and you make it very positive and get a really good singer so nobody really notices the words oh that's that's really interesting so the jingles that you wrote were beyond just like what people imagine a jingle is like for commercial like that you also wrote music for you know companies to use internally Yeah. So yeah, when people say, what did you used to do or whatever? I say, I used to write jingles. And the reason I say that is it's the quickest, then they always think of Charlie Sheen because that was his job, his TV show. Great, great association for people to, you know, (laughs) compare you to. Right, right. (laughs) Stable genius. (laughs) Um, I use it because people immediately, you don't have to explain very much once you say that. But what I mean by it is music that occasionally has singing. Okay. Gotcha. Um, okay, so so you mentioned GM. Can you tell us a little bit about the other clients that you worked for, the other companies? There was a fun one I did for um, Art Van, which is now out of business. Art, Art Van Furniture, which was um, b- really a big furniture company around here, huge. And animation wasn't quite as advanced as it is now. This is 10 and more than 10 years ago that I was doing this. They did this really cool thing where a dollar bill was folding up, animated into different like chairs and things like that. And that was fun because there was a lot of timing. I I really liked syncing. Syncing is maybe worth talking about a little bit. Um, Final Cut Pro, which I use now in my video business, was just starting out. And so it was possible to get a digital file of the 30-second spot, put that in your music software, and sync to it right to the fraction of a second, which was fun for me because I'd always been interested in the combination of music and images. And a lot of what would make or break a commercial like that is um, is, is sync, sync to image. So I started with a, what was it? A two inch tape machine? Um, Oh man, it's a cassette, like a VHS tape but three times bigger. And that was sort of the standard in those days for like mastering video. And so they would give me one of those tapes. I had a machine, it had a time clock on it, and it would just keep literally rewinding back and forth every time you would tell it to go to a spot that you're syncing to. It was tape. I mean, this isn't that long ago. And that's what everyone was using. And I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, Video editing software got cheaper and better, and you could get a file. You know, it's so obvious now, but it's really not that long ago that that started. And then syncing to a digital file is just so much easier. I can't imagine having to like physically rewind that to like exactly the right slot instead of just clicking. That sounds crazy. Oh my God. I mean, it is a button, it's it's automated, but I mean, yeah. And 
how did the tape go to that fraction of a second? I mean, it did a pretty good job. Yeah, that's, that's but, amazing. And I never really thought to compare that work with the Final Cut Pro stuff, but I imagine the Final Cut Pro stuff had to have been more precise to the to the fraction of a second. It's funny though. Usually the frames you use in Final Cut Pro are divided into a 30th of a second. With sync to sound, you don't, you never almost never need more than that because the eye is a funny thing. You actually want the music to hit sometimes tiny bit after or a tiny bit before the visual hits. You almost never want it to literally hit at the same time. It's just not how your eye works. It just looks cooler if you look at like cartoons or whatever. And I had like a whole library of cartoon sounds also. Um, Hanna-Barbera, their whole library, they were they sold, you know. Oh, cool. you buy. Awesome. And that stuff was really useful. Yeah, All of kinds course. of it. And a lot of that stuff was orchestra instruments also, like uh, xylophones for people running. You right. know, those guys just used what they had. Definitely. A lot of those old sound effects. I wonder if those are still available to purchase. Those are Yeah, I want to buy classic. those. <laughs> oh, I think so. Hanna-Barbera. You can, uh, I had CDs. I'm sure you can just get it digital now. Just like mm-hmm. 40 CDs of, of sound. Yeah, no, it's only like like five. Oh, that's yeah, but not it was, bad. But the labeling was great. You know, running, um, jumping, uh, surprise, just, you know. Surprise. Gotcha. We've all seen it, you know. Every year at the beginning of May, do you find yourself frantically searching for a Mother's Day present? Until eventually you cave and buy her another frog tchotchke, just because that one time three years ago she mentioned she likes frogs? Well, search no more, because Tune Gift is indifferent about frogs, and they're here to save the day. A Tune Gift is a personalized song made just for your loved one. All you have to do is fill out a few basic questions on their website about that special someone, like, what's a fond memory you share, or what's your favorite thing about them? And Tune Gift's team of songwriters will write a custom song just for them in the style of your choosing. So head on over to tune.gift before this Friday and use offer code MOM25 at checkout for a 25% discount. And their team will make sure to get you your mom's new favorite song before Mother's Day. That's T-U-N-E dot gift with offer code MOM25. Okay, so the jingle industry has taken a pretty big hit the last 10, 15 years. Like, what is your opinion on that? First of all, do you agree with that? I know that it was already true when I quit, and that was one of the reasons I quit. So I was probably at the beginning of that trend. When did you quit? Well, you know, there there was an economic crash, 2008. So I slowly got out, I'd say, you know, by 2010. And what happened during the crash was in advertising budgets, one of the things to go was original music, because you can all, library music is always an option. And there's great library music out there. And a lot of um, production houses have purchased or licensed expensive, great libraries, you know, so they were moving toward that, and there just wasn't enough work anymore. I don't watch commercials, really, so yeah. I don't know. I imagine they stuck with that trend. Yeah, for, I mean, for the most part, like, big national brands are using, like, recognizable music. like Right, they license you know? it. Yeah, yeah, so they're licensing it, or, you know, jingles are kind of reserved for, like, car dealerships. Yeah, and I would like, imagine you know, since there's so much less, much like, attention on radio, like, so many less people listen to radio, that was probably a big part of jingles, like, hearing a car dealership on there, you know. Definitely. 
So, so you were in the business for like 15 years, 14, 15 years. Yeah. And you said you started to like slowly kind of get out of it. And then eventually you, you just dropped it completely. Yeah. I mean, I morphed into video. So having the knowledge of the music software was super helpful. I think I stayed, it was just that it was similar enough that I was able to pick up video editing pretty quickly. And there was more work for somebody who's making videos. The thing about writing jingles is you're in this chain in a budget and you're often near the bottom of the chain. It's always that way. You know, when you make videos, you can be your own boss and you can go directly to clients and get jobs. And there's more need, there's way more need uh, among companies for video than music for video because the guy who made the video might have had library music. So there is no musician involved. So it was a couple of years where I was, you know, doing both. Okay. Yeah. So now your company video burst, are you doing everything in house for, for video burst, like music? I'm really good at picking out library music. I mean, because I'm a musician and tweaking it. I would say 95% of the music I use is music I've purchased, library music. And um, there's good and bad. And when you're a musician, you want the goods. You pay a little more. It gets, I think it gets better and better. There used to be a lot of not so great library music that people used. Yeah, but now 90% of my energy and time goes into the video. I've got a subscription to a company for about $150 a year. And it's a great library and they refresh it. It's an interesting one because it's real musicians who don't really write library music. They, I, I don't know exactly how they do it, but it's real music. It's one of the problems with it because music for video needs to be a little bit repetitive and boring. It has to mm-hmm. sit under something to create an atmosphere. <laughs> and this company... Um, has stuff that goes up and down too much and that has the vocals come in and then they come out and then it goes into an electronica section. And it's like, just give me, just give me what I need. So you have to go, sometimes you can loop it. You can find 20 seconds that are great and loop it or whatever, But, but it's not really good stuff is not expensive necessarily. All right. So that brings us to our last question. Um, which is a segment we like to do here on Audio Snack, and that is, what is your favorite story about a jingle or a project in the world of jingles that you've worked on? Wow, it's been a while. Um, the most fun I had was, I think, writing songs and working with singers, because I'm, I'm a little bit of a songwriter, and I did a thing for GM where we just were able, we had budget to pull out all the stops. And I had heard about this singer, had never worked with him. It was kind of a Motown sort of style. And I had a friend who really helped me get in the business, who had a similar studio in his house. And he did some of the um, recording and mixing. The technology had gotten far enough that if you put together your studio right, you could make a song that sounded like it belonged on the radio. It was that good. You know, you could, mixing was always tough for me. I needed help learning how to mix. So sometimes I would have other people do it or, or have help with it. And it's just so important. Um, so it was a project for GM. It was with a singer. I think it might have had live saxophone, also live guitar. Also, so many of the jobs I did were 100% MIDI. They were all using samples. Um, that was your average job. So it was a treat to have real music, you know. 
that was a highlight. It just came off really great. And, and working with a ta- really talented singer who'd done a lot of other projects was, was really fun. Is that spot anywhere on the internet where we could find it? No, I mean, I'll look for it, but okay. um, it, I don't even think that was a spot. I think that was an industrial. That was oh. for one of, like I was saying, one of those meetings or it was a so-called industrial where it was um, maybe even internal, but it was important to them. They wanted yeah. it to be great. Yeah, they pulled out I all mean, the stops. A lot of those big, big companies are really big on the whole idea of motivation. So that's where you could get some music work because they they connected those two things together. I didn't even know the industrial thing. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, that's that's something I think a lot of people just know nothing about, like that whole world. Like, that's really interesting. There's huge money in that side of things. Yeah, and people, and it is kind of invisible. People don't know about it as much, but all added up, there's probably more money spent on industrials, internal videos, promotional videos, marketing videos. Yeah, I suppose you could call them commercials, but but they're not TV commercials, you know? Um, yeah. and, and some of them are business to business or just internal. Uh, there's probably more money spent on that than so-called commercials, I, w- I would guess. Okay. Gotcha. That's crazy. We got to look into that a little bit. Oh, my God. For your, if you're doing that, you yeah. totally should. Yeah. Go f- find out who's got budgets and sure, meet yeah. those producers. Absolutely. Uh, communications companies, you know, video companies. Me and Avery actually, uh, a couple of years ago, worked at a company where we would go to these big GM plants and Ford plants and whatnot and as visitors, you would have to watch some sort of safety introduction video. Yeah. And I never realized that could be what you're doing. Is that sort of right? Is it for training mostly yes. or is it? Absolutely. That's huge. That is a huge industry. Safety, gotcha. OSHA and requirements and regulations. and. Well, we're going to have to talk later. This is an yeah. untapped market. We have it uh, really explored. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that about does it for this episode. Thank you again to our guest, Dave Mayer. Very welcome. Let's uh, let's stay in touch. Keep it going. You made it through the entire episode. We're a new podcast, so give us reviews. We've been getting a lot of reviews that Michael's voice is too sexy. Mm. Um, actually, if we could stop that, it's kind of hurting my feelings because no one talks about me. Get your hands off the table. Leave there, my ears. Someone on. talks about me. Okay, well, ladies and germs, that was Dave Mayer. Thank you so much, Dave, for being on the show. If you want to learn more about Video Burst, which is his company, check out video-burst.com. Really cool stuff. Uh, you made it to the end. We're really proud of you guys. Great job. Great, Great job. job. Uh, keep an eye out for episode three. And if you're listening to this exact moment, shoot us an email. And you know what? You wouldn't even have to keep an eye out for episode three if you went ahead and subscribed because so then it'll easy. show it to you. It's so simple, It's guys. so easy. You don't have to it's, do it's anything. one click away. It will tell you. And the stuff you get, if you subscribe long enough, we're going to have prizes. We're going to have contests. Contests. Awards. Uh, all sorts of money if you subscribe. A lot, yeah. lot, of, lot of cash. Lot I mean, cash. we're going to be giving away money. This podcasting game, I didn't realize how yeah. lucrative yeah. it would be. but We have no sponsors, and yet we're raking it we in. We quit all our jobs. All I, zero you know, of them. We cut off all our trust <laughs> funds. We're, we're doing this. We them. said, Mom, Dad, I don't need your money anymore. I don't want it. I'm a podcaster. No, so this is it. And they said... My little angel is a podcaster. Oh my god! They told all their friends. Yeah, they um, blogged about it on their mom. So blogs. you can actually stop listening. We don't need your views. We don't need your listens. Yeah, we're we have so much money. A good three to four mil per episode. Oh, and that actually brings us god. next episode. We will be talking to Daryl Berg, who is the, the VP of Music Management at Crown Media, who owns Hallmark. So he's a very interesting person. We'll be talking to him. 
Give he's a, a music supervisor. He's done music law. He's done all sorts of stuff. He's worked for EMI, and he's a really interesting guy. So make sure to subscribe so you get to hear that first. Excellent. And always remember, if the jingle isn't jangling, the money ain't wrangling. And you can count on it. <laughs> you can count on that. <laughs> and you can count on that. You guys remember that auto parts jingle? Um, uh, uh, Pet Boys does everything for less. You remember that one? No. No. Auto parts? It's, well, it's Pet Boys. Pet Boys does everything for less. Ooh. Pet Boys? Pep with a Pet. P. Pep Boys. Maybe that was a local thing. I went to Pet yeah, Boys not, one time and uh, they actually tried to fix my engine mount and they ended up not doing it and they broke it and said, oh, it was broken when we got in here. So I don't like Pet Boys. That's Is just, that a true that's story? That's just smart. Totally true story. Uh, well, that's okay. just a well, good we're never going to get them as a sponsor now. So, well, Pet Boys can suck a, a fat a fart. So. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it. That's you that's on the record. Uh, Pet Boys Pet can Boys. indeed suck a fat fucking fart. <laughs> Pet Boys can and does suck fat farts.